Welcome, this is Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. I'm your host, Phil, and before we start this episode, I have a quick announcement that at the very end, past where Ella says thanks for listening and the music fades out, I'm going to be detailing a way that you could end up winning a select few gifts that Chad Littlefield, our guest in today's episode, has generously donated. So I will go into more detail at the very end of this episode. But until then, enjoy and thank you for listening to Vertical Playpen. Hey everyone and welcome to VPP, Vertical Playpen. Um, I am really happy and excited to welcome onto the show Chad Littlefield. Just a quick thing, I'm gonna, I've stole this from his bio from the website, but Chad Littlefield is the co-founder and chief experience officer of We and Me Inc., an organization whose mission is to create conversations that matter. I'm going to start, Chad, before I even have you say hello, with a, sec- a segment. I This is new to the podcast. I'm adding this new in. So you're a little bit Ooh. of a trial run on this one. Nice. But it's around the, the idea of connection. And I realized that me and you haven't really connected in a big way. We've seen each other very briefly on a webinar, but I wanted to connect with you before we got into other stuff about you. And so what I've what we're going to do is I have made uh, 15 random questions. And I will also say that I have taken five questions from these, which are We Connect cards, which you may be familiar with. Um, so what I'm going to ask is you're going to pick two numbers, one through to 15, and they're two questions that I'm going to ask you. You're also going to pick two questions, two numbers, and they're two questions you're going to ask me. So they're random questions. I will say they're, and this is like such, um, I think the, the anticipation of our listener is so high right now. The interest is, so, is peaked so high. And what could these questions be? I will say some of them are really, really great. And some of them aren't, well, I still think they're great. But I don't know. We'll see how they appear anyway. So what you need to do is tell me uh, two numbers, one to 15. And I'm just going to take a note of Two those. and seven. Two and seven. All right. So. Questions two and seven, I'm going to ask you, and then you have another two numbers other than two and seven, which are going to give you questions to ask me. And 15 and one. I met a professional oh. storyteller once that told me you should always know the first sentence you're going to say and the last sentence you're going to say. So 15 and one. Um, so number two, I'm going to ask you first. And what I will do is I'm going to send you in the chat the questions you can ask me so you will get to ask them Perfect. in a second. Uh, but I'm going to start with number two. Oh, okay. This is an interesting one. So, Chad, what is the um, what is the direction that you hang your toilet paper? Are you an over person or are you an under person? Now, under would be it goes against the back wall. So, are you over or are you under on toilet paper hanging? And going uh, on the the back wall would be undermining everything that is right <laughs> in the world because it's absolutely over. But yeah, over is the over. correct answer. Much over. easier to rip, easier place. Yeah, just no and, I, and I like that, that you said the word correct, because I am in the same mindset. And I think that I one time uh, did a Google search. And I think that the the patent for like the toilet roll hanger has an image of the toilet flowing over. So even if the patent says it, that's sort of like to suggest to me. No, no doubt that's going to cause a lot of uh, discussion <laughs> in the comments. What I love most about that, Phil, is that you looked up the patent on toilet paper rolls in order to prove yourself right. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, that says a lot about me, unfortunately, or fortunately. All right, so I'm going to send in the chat now the question you're going to ask me. So your first question is this one. Oh, dear. Okay, so I, I realized that I should have what I should have done is thought of my answers of these before I wrote them. Because I knew that I was going to no, answer too. Well, I, I no, also have a deck prompted. of We Connect cards on on my desk too. So, what? Oh, wow! <laughs> and that is from just that is going from for you. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd say of this deck of cards, We Connect cards, that this question that you just pasted mm-hmm. in is uh, is probably the most intense question of the deck. I usually <laughs> uh, frame it for people with some challenge by choice before I throw it out to them. But what is your greatest struggle right now? So I do have to frame it in that it's June 1. So at least there's some time context for people listening to this outside of this timeline. Um, But I would say a struggle for me right now is, uh, and I sort of was talking to Chad prior to even start and record on this one, is the balance of so many different stresses at the moment and trying to be okay with them in different lenses and, you know, be able to 
look at them in one go and not have them all be overwhelming at the same time. And we're just struggling figuring out um, childcare in the summer for my daughter. That's the struggle for me right now. I think we'll come to a solution that's okay. You're going to experience this as well, Chad. You've got a younger, is it a son? Yeah, yeah. Otto. He's um, five months today. Is just even for me, is the other struggle is like thinking how how this current timeline is going to affect my daughter's upbringing from this point on, which is four. So this is the time where she starts to get memories formed. And, you know, we're going to be, we are going to be, unfortunately, those, uh, the stereotype parents who are like, well, back in my day, but we have legitimate, like back in my day, we could hug each other. Um, so, you know, like, I, I think that that would be the struggle looking at the new world and raising a kid in it. All right. So, uh, next question for you. Oh, Okay. So this one is, this could apply to both of us, I think, in some of the work that we do, but what is one common myth about your work that you would like to debunk? What is one common myth about your work that you would like to debunk? I don't know how pervasive this myth is, but amongst uh, facilitators, the word icebreaker is a really common phrase. I encourage gently encourage people to eradicate that word from their vocabulary and replace it with uh, connection before content. Mm. And um, I think the most common myth is that an icebreaker um, where people are just go, you know, have, have never met before, but are forced to do something really, really like goofy, silly, vulnerable, mm-hmm. um, I would say is not an icebreaker necessarily. I think connection before content um, has to allow people to connect to each other um, and to the purpose mm-hmm. of why they're there. And an icebreaker doesn't always do that, but I think really great connection before content uh, allows people to connect to the purpose of why they're there and each other. In the same way. I think it's very interesting how we have to sometimes re-educate from terms that got used in the past to try to create a little bit more buy-in from the norms that got created because of the misuse of something, the misuse of the word icebreaker, or sometimes even the misuse of the word team building. We tend to use team development We use or use it in a different frame or say, let's define what team building is other than team development or other than team bonding, if you think about it in sort of three buckets because of the misuse of the term in different avenues that have created mm-hmm. this like eye roll as soon as you say yeah. like oh yeah i do team building oh great he's gonna ask us to hold hands and sing kumbaya around a campfire or something you're like no 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 no. i have to immediately sort of create that buy-in now the last question that you're going to give to me wow this is this is a good one number one <laughs> don't judge that this is number one all right there it is a cake, a rake, or a snake? In which order would you eat them? Wow, Chad, thank you for that. That's uh, a. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you think of these questions? Struggle to a cake, a rake, or a snake. Um, well, I think it's obvious. Uh, actually, now that I think about it, it's not as obvious. The rake would be the least enjoyable to eat, I would assume. Um, yeah. Possibly the cake, the the snake, the the cake more enjoyable, and the the snake the middle of the road, and it's whether or not you want to end on the delicious thing after you've had the bad stuff, or you want to have the good thing first. This questions for you, Phil. Though, what would you eat? <laughs> okay, not with the logic okay. that other people okay. can apply. I, I'm appreciating you're prepping yeah. the audience just in case this situation arises. But it's, it's also a perfect uh, filler for me to l- let me think about it. I'm going to choose. Uh-huh. I'm going to choose. I'm going to go for the for the rake first. I'm going to go for me more painful than the snake, and then I'm going to eat that delicious cake. And that's how I'm going to end it. Well, uh, boom. Thanks, Chad. I appreciate this wonderful interview that we've had now <laughs> of talking random questions. I call that section mystery questions. And now we're on to the main uh, meat of the interview. So, uh, Chad, uh, thank you once again for joining us. What was your first experience for you of like experiential adventure education? And did that have any mm. impact on you doing what you do now? Hmm. Wow. This, this cannot be the first, but it's the most stark memory of experiential education to me. And it was when I was 16 and I went to get my driver's. So obviously not the absolute first, but this is what's coming up for me right now. I think this, maybe this, this is the moment that I learned the immense power in experiential education. So I was going to get my driver's permit when I was 16 and my dad, I lived in a, a city not so far outside of Boston. 
So we drove through a relatively uh, urban area to get there and he drove because I didn't have a permit. Mm -hmm. I went in, I took the test, I came out, I had my permit and no experience. And my dad threw me the keys and said, okay, get us home. I was like, whoa. Oh, and I like the stakes. Uh, I think the recognition that when the stakes are high enough, you show up. There's no margin for, or even if there is margin for uh, error, you don't want to uh, make the error. And so you're trying really, really hard to do and to, to learn whatever um, it is. And so, yeah, throw me the keys. No doubt he was probably there in a supportive position for you too. Um, but just to guide you for through. For sure. Yeah. yeah, we drove around the parking lot a little bit before. <laughs> we didn't just like merge onto an eight-lane highway in LA, right? There's uh, there's a, a thing called sequencing that yeah. us facilitators think about when we're uh, you know giving people experiences. But um, yeah, that's that's a, a fun realization to have. Um, realizing like, wow, I could read about this or talk about it or watch videos about it or watch somebody else do it mm -hmm. forever. And I would never actually learn how to drive. Mm. Um, I would never become a good driver. And I think that's an important realization for when we're working around um, inviting people to connect or communicate differently. You can watch people, you can read all the books about it. You can know all the theories and frameworks about how to um, connect. But unless, mm -hmm. unless you do it over and over again, have conversations with people over and over again, you meet people over and over again, you can't get, uh, you can't get good at it. What was this spark for you that said, you know, I want to do this for a job? Was there, you know, fortuitous experience where you met someone who said that you could do this as a living or you just fell into a role? What was the path there? Two moments. One, I think one was um, realization of mission. And then the second was a realization of, oh, this is a thing. So the first one, I'd seen the movie Patch Adams, which is like an archaic scroll at this point. But um, with Robin Williams, where for those who haven't seen it, um, he becomes a doctor to really promote the quality of life over quantity. And when I saw that movie, I had my entire life mapped out, figured out. And I was probably nine or so. Um, and uh, I was going to be Patch Adams. That was it. I was going to be a doctor. I was going to... Um, be Patch, or at least who he, who Robin Williams was mm. in the movie, which was this amazing, empathetic um, caretaker who was able to really heal people through human connection in addition to the clinical side of medicine. Um, then I took a chemistry class in college and was like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is not going to work so well. And so, yeah, had a little bit of a life crisis, crying on the dorm room bed, like, oh my gosh, so my plan is falling apart. But what I realized was I wanted to... Um, be a, I wanted to connect people. I didn't so much care about uh, going to school for 12 years to hold a scalpel. And so um, I found myself into psychology and interpersonal psychology. And I met um, two people, one uh, named uh, Rod Lee and the other who's actually now my co-founder co of my business in college um, named Will Wise. And uh, I met Will Wise in a dialogue facilitation course where I was being trained to facilitate conversations about really soft, fluffy topics like uh, race, gender, long-term conflict, mm. politics, religion, with a group of strangers for 90 minutes um, with the wow. sole purpose of connecting and, and understanding the other and skipping past headlines. And so anyway, I was in that dialogue facilitation class, loving it, just learning the power of conversation about anything, right? About any uh, topic, the power of really good conversation. And Will introduced me to another instructor at Penn State uh, named Rodley, who's teaching a team development facilitation class in like the Rex Park uh, department. And I took that class and the first day we shoved all of our desks to the back of the room in a giant tornado mess and did stuff for three hours. No notes, no PowerPoint, did stuff. Um, and so it was my first like real intro to what facilitated adventure experiential learning can look like. And I was super hooked. So just like every day after uh, after class was like, Rod, tell me more. How'd you do this? How'd you get into this? How'd you get it? Tell me more. Tell me more. And he, he did this privately on the side as an um, independent consultant as well. That was, the, that was the, the window into it. And then the rest of the journey, I could probably summarize with like a few people, a few more people's names who are mentors who have been doing this for longer than I had and invited me along for the journey. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I brought it up before in other interviews, the importance of that, of connecting with certain people in this field and having those experiences and asking those questions, just as you suggested, like, how do I do this? Yeah. Yeah. Feel free to bug us with also the, um, 
two mindsets at play that I think made a, a big difference. One mm. is having a contributor mindset mm. rather than a consumer mm-hmm. mindset. So I think even as a, you know, if you're coming up as a student at looking for a, a mentor, if you're coming to just take, that's very felt by uh, the mentor. Whereas, so I have lots of people that come up after I give a keynote to 3000 mm. people say, that was really awesome. How do you do what you do? Um, and my, I just put one tiny little screen in there and I say, I would love to chat about this. Let's schedule a conversation. Just shoot me an email and we'll schedule a time. Less than 2% of people actually follow up. It's in the email, but the people that do have become interns for me have, mm-hmm. uh, actually, you know, the people who actually follow up, that's the first, for me, that's the first threshold yep. of like a job interview of like, you're, you are a contributor enough that you're not looking to just take that you're actually going to be on top of your game um, in that way. And then the, I guess the second uh, piece is a, a quote from Elizabeth Gilbert that I really love. She said something to the effect of um, forget about your passion for a minute, let go of your passion and let go of following your passion and follow your curiosity because your curiosity is much more likely to lead you to what you are passionate about. And I think that's so brilliant because we live in a culture where like, if I, you know, if I invite somebody to say, follow your passion, that's very not actionable. But if I say, <laughs> follow your curiosity, like, what are you curious about about, about it? point to it and then ask three questions about it and then find the people connected to that thing and ask those people, those questions, like that's really, really actionable. And that takes you one step further along the path of whatever journey uh, Mm. you're on. Was there a moment of doing the actual work, the actual, um, the on task with a group that sticks in your brain as reinforcing that you wanted to do that? Because I I see sometimes people experience it when I'm presenting at a conference or I'm doing a workshop and they're like, this is it but they haven't actually experienced mm. doing it. Was there a moment that yeah. like, like um, formed that in your brain of like, this is, this is truly what I want to do. And I'm actually good at it too. Yeah. Two, uh, 2.3 moments. Mm. So that um, the, the point three was um, right before a half day uh, corporate team building program. Uh, it was one of my first programs that I had led at Shavers Creek. Now I had had some experience and some facilitation training before that, but the first corporate group that I was leading, I thought co-leading with Rod and right before Rod metaphorically threw me the keys and say, said, get us home mm-hmm. and uh, said, you're fly solo, go run the group yourself. And I felt totally underprepared, totally mm-hmm. underprepared. And at the, so that was the, the point three that experience. But the end, three hours later, when everybody came up and said, this was so awesome. We had, I had conversations with colleagues that I'd worked with for five years that I never had. I worked right across the, um, the office from them and had no idea, blank, 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 blank. Um, you know, their ability to sort through some communication frustrations that had been plaguing them for over a year mm-hmm. that they could actually just sit down, talk through right there in that moment. And that for me was the light bulb of like, aha, like connection actually can heal people. I still can be Patch Adams. I just, I'm not going to use a scalpel to heal people through um, that connection and conversation. And then the the second big moment was um, the shift. So that was, that was realizing I want to keep facilitating, but mm-hmm. I still don't know exactly what that means in terms of a career. The second big shift was I was facilitating a week-long adventure programming um, for Penn State that was summer programming for uh, teenagers. We'd go rock climbing one day and um, mountain biking the next and canoeing the next. But the first half day was team building, get to know each other with these 12 students. You get 12 people between the ages of 13 and 18 together in conversation unfacilitated, it looks pretty awkward. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. what do I do with my hands? <laughs> kind of standing, like figuring out what to talk about. Where are you from? What do you like? Right. This looks a little bit awkward. And so I asked myself in that moment, what could I just stick in between those two people and make that go much better? And I went home that night and designed the very, very early prototype of We Connect cards, mm-hmm. which was a very crappy, lousy, deck of questions that I had just come up with in a Google doc and printed out in really cruddy version to try out the next day. And the, like, I probably took me 12 hours to just get an initial set that I was happy with and proud to share. Um, and I, I felt like it was two minutes that 12 hours went by and that was like, I was in a complete flow state. And now I realized, Ooh, I, not only do I want to facilitate, but I also want to, um, build and create and design experiences for people and, and turn that into a living. So that idea, you know, I was just aiming to solve a problem, but that now be, became a company that 
feeds my family and a handful of other families, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, and and cool. you, what yeah. you've done is you've found a, found a need and it was a need that you had as well, more as much as they were having it, you were having it. Like, how do I help facilitate this? And then created a tool that helped it. And I think that's the same, you know, with us, with Ubuntu, that's that same concept of just creating something as a medium to be able to then have that connection formed. So you started to reference the the work you do now. Describe that in a little bit more detail. What what is the what is your role as the uh, chief experience officer? Yeah. So really simply, I uh, help make connection easy for people. Um, so a little bit of background. So if you go to weand.me, which is our website uh, or domain, um, you can see lots more uh, context if you're if you're curious. But it's a um, we're an intentionally small company. In fact, and this is this might be really useful if you're considering a career in this uh, world. Differentiating between um, a business and a practice, right? Or a practice. If you are going to get a surgery because you need your knee replaced, uh, you don't want the surgeon to call her assistant and say, hey, I'm going to be sick. Can you just fill in for me and do the surgery, right? You want the surgeon. You want the expert mm-hmm. to, um, to do that. And so that's, that's a practice, right? A dentist has a practice. They're not, um, whereas a, a business or an organization or non, a nonprofit operates fundamentally differently. And so we're intentionally a slightly unscalable operation in terms of it's me and Will doing the majority of speaking, facilitating, consulting, working with uh, groups. And we're, I'm primarily, um, right now anyway, working with uh, universities and orientation programs and helping design really connecting meaningful experiences um, that increase retention and help students be successful and thrive when they get into school. Um, and Will is primarily working with a corporate audience, um, helping sort out communication errors, making connection easy there, building uh, connection into the fabric of the culture so that communication goes easier, trust increases, et cetera. Um, and so the, on the service side, it's a practice, right? It's me and Will. On the business side, we've, we also, we were unsatisfied with the unscalability of that. And so the tools that we created are being used in 80 countries around the world, similar to the way that Ubuntu cards have exploded and are being used everywhere. Um, and that is a joy. And every tool that we put out, the, whatever it is, it's designed to make connection easy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, actually the first real deck that we designed and printed was called We Discover Cards. There's still like a few legacy decks available Ooh. on our website, but within the next couple of weeks, they'll be um, out of commission because it's an awesome deck. It's like a 125th of the world map. You can do what you do like in a Zoom activity with a world map mm-hmm. um, and play with geography. And there are a bunch of fun exercises. I thought they were really cool as a facilitator. They were too hard for the world to use. They were too mm-hmm. hard for a non-facilitator to use. And so we intentionally create tools that a facilitator could use and get an immense amount of value out of, but so could a random teacher in a school district. So mm-hmm. could a random middle manager in a company, et cetera. So um, yeah, just bring everything back to like making connection easy for people. What would be, uh, on the in the WeConnect cards, what would be something... A, a piece of advice or a way that you use them that you think um, when when you see other people use it they don't utilize in the best way or don't you don't get it to its maximum is there something in there that you think oh if I only they did this they would enhance their ability to use it oh such a good question such a good question yeah. um, should record this and share it with everybody that uses we connect if only this uh, wasn't just you and me talking <laughs> <laughs> So two things. One, um, a framework that's old hat for most uh, adventure experiential facilitators, challenged by choice. But the way that I frame that with questions is by reminding people that the, the best, most neat, cool feature about questions is that no matter how deep or how shallow the question is, human beings have 100% autonomy and choice in how they answer that question. And so remind, actually saying verbatim, something mm. to that effect, that reminding people that if you're asked a question like, what is one of your greatest struggles right now? You can say, you, Phil, you could have said, oh, it's a little warm and in my room, I you know, might have uh, worn a t-shirt instead of a long sleeve. But you didn't. You chose to share a little bit about your daughter and childcare and this uh, struggle. And 
you know, typically with challenge by choice, when you give people the choice, they actually end up going deeper. Mm. So by reminding people that they don't have to go deep or answer with this level of authenticity or vulnerability, it ends up happening anyway, actually, even mm-hmm. more so maybe. So that'll be the first one, just reminding people that you have choice over questions. So don't feel, you know, cornered or pressured in any way by any question that's ever asked. And that's that's specifically in the context if they were being used in a question swap mm-hmm. where everybody's got a card and there's, you know, in a group of a hundred, there's 50 conversations happening in pairs right now that you're not moderating or facilitating in any way, or you're not going around a circle. So um, that's the first one. And then the second one with uh, question swap, although it could be used in a variety of uh, activities or contexts, doing two rounds of whatever you're doing and weaving content in the middle. So what I mean by that is most people do a question swap. Cool. Declare you're connected. When I do a question swap, I do a question swap and then I pause people after about five to seven minutes and I say, cool. So quick debrief. How'd that go? What'd you notice? Okay, cool. I want to add a framework. So as if I threw out a hundred pairs of glasses for you all to pick up and see the world through, or maybe ear, earbuds would be a better uh, phrase, different uh, earbuds to listen to each other differently from. Um, what I'm going to invite is just add a dynamic. The pair of glasses is, I would say, I would argue that your brain has two ways, dominant ways that it listens. One, you can listen to win, where somebody says, I'm from Vermont, and uh, you immediately respond with, oh my gosh, that's so crazy. My second cousin's brother drove through Vermont on their way to Maine one time, right? Which is what we normally do. We find the commonality, and then we jump in and start talking about me rather than keeping it um, them focused. So listening to win is one versus the framework of listening to understand, where you're just there to really get and understand who that person is. And so to make a long story longer, uh, (laughs) I would say that the framing of uh, giving the framing of listening and then going back and doing a second round of question swap completely changes the dynamic in the group. The decibel level goes down a little bit. People are actually listening, really having really thoughtful, engaged, meaningful conversations. But that's my content talking about listening. You might be, you might want to talk about paying attention to nonverbals and then go back and do a second round where people are hyper aware of nonverbals. You might want to talk about um, how, whether people are sharing in generalities or specifics, because that really changes the conversation and then go back and do a second round, whatever the dynamic you want to involve. And you could do that with just about any activity, right? It's in a lot of experiential ed stuff. It's the way we add variations or levels to. Um, but I think with we connect cards, it's not used as much to deepen that level of connection in a, in a scaffolded comfortable uh, way. You have another yeah. tip. Something popped into the brain. <laughs> no, I just, this one, this one is, was an actually an accidental tip in the creation. So we realized after we wrote the questions, which we spent, um, it wasn't just the final version. It wasn't just me in a Google doc typing out 60 questions. We actually for two years iterated on this and wrote a, like, I don't know why, but produced an academic paper on the design and creation of them and how we winnowed down to these specific 60 questions. Um, but after the fact, we realized totally by accident that every question is written in a way that you can add context to the end of the question and it changes mm-hmm. the entire deck. So you can add, you can invite people to add at work. And so now what is your greatest struggle right now at work? What is your greatest struggle right now mm-hmm. at home? What was your greatest struggle when you were five? Some of you, if you're changing uh, time zone, you need to edit the question a little bit. Mm-hmm. But essentially that one deck of 60 questions then becomes super context specific to wherever you're using them, which I think is how like, I think all tools should be designed, be designed as flexible as Ubuntu cards for the, you know, mm-hmm. the variety of ways that they can be be used i'm going to keep following this tip line because uh, i think this is where you know i'm leaning on your expertise to be able to give some great value to people listening since you've been doing so much work with conversation and the ability to connect outside of using those cards what what are some tips and advice for people to engage in conversation especially potentially now where there is you know tough conversations being had everywhere what 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 what's some advice from your perspective of what makes a good conversation and how to engage in one I'll resist the desire to crack open and start reading at page one of a a book, but um, Will and I cared enough about this question that you're asking to put together a book on it, um, Mm -hmm. on asking powerful questions, called Ask Powerful Questions, Create Conversations That Matter. 
And the book is structured in a framework that uh, goes through five levels of both uh, mindsets and skills that go into creating conversations that matter. So I'll, I'll pick out um, two of them that I think are particularly helpful to offer right now. The first one is, uh, the first chapter focuses on intention and specifically the tool or the, the tip there is to get clear about what your intention is and share it with the people that it affect. So very rarely do we actually pause to think about what am I, what is my clear intention here? And even more rarely do we clearly share that with the people who are impacted by that. And I think the, the number one reason that's just as a base foundation is if that's not present, manipulation can start to creep in. Mm -hmm. So as a facilitator, right, if you're trying to get a group to do something, it can feel manipulative and you'll experience resistance. But if you're really clear about your intention and it incorporates the needs of the whole, it's not just like your selfish goal. It's actually a, a more of a we focused, we centric um, intention. When you share that with the group, they get to choose to jump on board. And so in conversation, um, you know, I had a mentor named Jeff, or still have a mentor named Jeff Hayes. And he said to my wife and I actually at dinner one time that right, right before we got married, his invitation was if we ever found ourselves in a tough conversation where we weren't agreeing, where there was some conflict happening, um, he invited us to actually sit on the same side of the table, literally, and in conversation. So we've been at restaurants, gotten up out of the booth, and sat on the same side of the booth to have a hard conversation uh -huh. as a physical symbol that we're actually, even though we're like not agreeing on this one little thing, our overarching encompassing intention to love each other and communicate kindly and uh, live a wonderful life together. That intention doesn't change if we disagree about where we should go for dinner or how we should discipline Otto when he's older, right? Like that doesn't, mm -hmm. that doesn't shift. And so sitting on the same side um, is important. And so that, um, yeah, that's one being clear about intention mm -hmm. and the, um, after when we wrote the second version and released it just recently, um, uh, dug into the word intention a little bit more. And the Latin root actually means to stretch or stretching. And I love that because I think about a really good intention uh, as you're you know, crafting it either in your head or on paper. Um, a really good intention is like a rubber band or an elastic that stretches over the needs of the whole and pulls people together. I think if the elastic or the uh, rubber band only stretches over five out of the seven people in the group, you can plan on resistance from the two people that it didn't encompass or who weren't on board with that intention. So that's a starting point. It doesn't matter what you're talking about, where you're going. If you don't have that, like you're just going to start wandering down a path that all people aren't on board with. The second one, I would jump up to the third level in this ask powerful questions pyramid that the book structured in and uh, uh, which is openness. Mm -hmm. And that has two meanings. The first openness is, or the first meaning of openness is actually going into it with an open mind. One of my favorite quotes it's by um, Alan Alda, and it's uh, listening is being able to be changed by the other person. And so when you're having a difficult conversation, if you are not open to being changed as a human being changed, as a perspective being changed, as an opinion or a platform or a planted flag, right? So when we, when we talk about people being polarized or having very polarizing views, very rarely are we listening in a way that we're willing to be changed by the other person. We are actually listening to be right. We're listening mm -hmm. to win. That's one angle of openness, entering the conversation, willing to be changed, willing, just acknowledging the fact that it's possible that you don't know everything and that somebody else might know something that you don't. You don't have to agree with them. You don't even have to leave the conversation agreeing with them. But if you leave uh, willing to add a new perspective to your repertoire of perspectives. Um, I think that's really, really magical. And then the other very tactical meaning of openness is literally asking open-ended questions. If you pay attention, well, actually, I, I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania now, but I, I used to live in Asheville, North Carolina. And when I moved there, um, my before coronavirus, my extroverted way of, of kind of adapting into the culture was uh, I had over 400 one-to-one -one coffee meetings with people around Asheville. And I noticed about 100 one-to-ones in, 100 conversation, coffee conversations in, 
that um, if I didn't ask a question, almost no questions would be asked. We'd have a conversation without questions. But as kids, kids between the age of two and five ask roughly 300 questions a day, right? Mm -hmm. Adults ask on average six to 12 questions per day. And I'm assuming some of those are like, what's for dinner and where are we going next? Right. There's some really basic questions. So the other meaning of openness is asking open-ended questions. And the by far the um, best facilitator questions or open-ended questions in general tend to begin with how or what, those two words. I would take the word why, and actually we invite people to take the word why and just cut it out of their vocabulary if their goal, not all, if their goal is to build a relationship of trust with somebody else, right? If they want to like fact find um, or put somebody on the defensive or have somebody justify something, then why questions are perfect Mm -hmm. for that. But if you're trying to build rapport in this uh, relationship of trust, asking questions that begin with how or what, not why, is a really powerful tool that also is, for me, like the tactical, actionable check to keep you open-minded to ask questions. Because when we say, you know, somebody shows up late and we say, why were you late? Well, that person was probably already thinking about on their way there why they were late. So they've got a they've got a reason, a just because, ready to go. Um, yeah. So those two be in, be uh, really clear about your intention and share it, and uh, enter with an open mind, willing to be changed by the conversation and the other person, um, and ask questions that begin with only how or what, if your intention to build rapport how's that wow god just that was a mic drop if you dropped your new mic that would be bad but uh yeah that that, that's phenomenal and and i even as you were describing the the taking the why out of the equation i i reflect on you know when we're working when i in in different lenses i'm working that word is appropriate but in other areas that when i hear it you you immediately do go defensively you're trying to immediately prove well, like, why did you do that? Okay, well, now I'm like, oh, this person is saying it because they don't think I should have done it. There's this context that they add in, fill in the middle gaps of like, well, they're asking this because of all these reasons, and now I'm going to immediately go defensively rather than thinking it differently and taking that word out and changing that dynamic. I like that a lot. So, Chad, tell me, tell me what, what are you working on right now? What is something you're excited and is new for you in, you know, it doesn't have to be because of the time we're in, but what is for you exciting in, in the world of Chad Littlefield? Yeah. Ooh. Um, an immense amount of things, actually. One of them I'm debating whether uh, to, to share or oh. not, because it's a, a new card deck that I'm pretty pumped about. Um, but I'm going to, because the, a great idea doesn't care who it belongs to. It just needs to be uh, accessed in the world. So when we discovered we connect cards, you could add context to the end, like add at work and it changes the whole deck. Um, that was really exciting. Cause it was like, Whoa, this we created one deck, but it's actually like 50 decks, mm-hmm. um, that can just be edited, um, in that way with, with one simple instruction or guideline. But then we we're starting to realize, okay, there is actually a, uh, national curiosity deficit in the world. Like there's much fewer questions being asked going back to my, my, or migrating into Asheville and having all these coffee meetings. Um, halfway through those meetings, I would actually, I actually started experimenting about a hundred conversations in just saying, Whoa, like I recognize that I've been asking all the questions. Um, your turn. And I would just leave a pause and you could see their brain completely <laughs> shift because the part of our brain that is curious and asked to like, be interested and ask questions about somebody else is different than the part that tries to look good and speak in sentences that sound beautiful and whatever. And so mm-hmm. when we're in that question place. It's a flip of mind. So anyway, we wanted to create a tool that makes asking questions really easy, but be completely um, content unspecific. So we're working on a deck right now. That's a complete the question. So, um, so you could do a question swap, for example, but it would be like, what is one of your favorite stories about? And then there'd be a blank on the card. And so as you're live meeting with people or you're giving those cards to a group, they're filling it in with their curiosity. So kind of put your curiosity in the blank. And I'm excited about that because I think it has the potential to be used in a really applied way too of a group, uh, you know, a, a company or organization might be uh, wanting to solve a problem, a really complex problem. Um, 
Einstein once said, like he, he would spend 55 minutes coming up with questions, asking questions about the problem and five minutes coming up with the solution. And so it'd be a deck that would allow people to question storm rather than just brainstorm, et cetera. So in development right now. So I'm excited about that. Um, and then I'm also excited. I'm, I'm really enjoying adapting experiential ed into a remote environment and, you know, zoom and any of these platforms that we're on are literally a 2d environment as we're talking right now, right? Like you're on a 2d laptop screen. You're only a couple millimeters thick right now, Phil. That's, that's but, very generous. Yeah. <laughs> but, but our, uh, the work that you do and the work that I do has the ability to make Zoom and this remote uh, connection to actually add depth and make it, turn it into, I don't know if it's 3D, but 2.9D um, or something. Add depth that really um, increases connection because even when we're not worried about staying at home and uh, spreading a virus, remote work and remote connections not going away at all. And for way too many years, we did it really, really poorly. And so it was like the the world's little wake up of like, hey, you don't need to get on a plane and spend 800 bucks to connect with somebody. There are really great experiential, engaging ways that you can do it that doesn't include just sitting on gallery view and your little, little Zoom bubble staying there. Yeah, well, excited about both those things. Yeah, oh, that's that. That's exciting, and that's what. I How mean, about you? Like, for I, me, yeah. What are you asking? What's the question? Yeah, can I turn that question back? Yeah. On you? What are we working on? <laughs> um, so you know, I, I think that that's that same thing for for us. You know, our world in the challenge course industry is is changed. If you take it in that specifics, um, I think that we're going to have to be adapting to the way that we operate those kind of worlds. You know, we're in deep conversations about, you know, the the need for masks and disinfection of gear and all that kind of stuff that, you know, we wouldn't have had to think of before. But I think the connection piece is um, something that at High Five, we're, we've, we've always, our motto is connect, empower, lead, be the example. So it's always been, there's always been that tenant. And you mentioned it before, connection before content as like classic experiential ed- education idea. And we're excited in what we can do about exactly that same world. We focus a little bit more, we're focusing a little bit more on the schools um, because of, you know, they're all prepping for what school is going to look like in the future. Are they going to be in these cohorts of kids that are all going to be in the same group for every single class and the teacher's going to rotate? Are they doing two days on, two days off? Like the that world. And I think that a lot of teachers are focused on that at the moment and what they're needing help on is, how are they actually going to interact and engage their students when they do have to start? So I think for us, we're looking at trying to become a resource for schools and the way that they can try to connect and the teachers can connect and, and broaden it to, to parents and administrators because, you know, I think I'm experiencing it um, and a lot of parents are experiencing it, trying to educate their kids at home and what that world looks like. And and so I think that we're we're poised to be able to assist in that and it's up to us as experts in the field to jump in and do that and not be resistant. And I think that mm. to, to your point, like we've been, we've been touched enough by this experience of being virtual that I do think that there are going to be more people working from home. They're going to be more people engaging at home in, in using these mediums. And so we can't be resistant to it. We have to push on for ages. You know, I found this and you probably experienced this too, but for ages it was consolute. We were a pseudo education that were fighting to get recognition in the field and just say, listen, we do what we do is important to everyone. You know, when we would get brought into schools and it would be just in the phys ed department, they'd throw adventure programming in there and say, all right, not only do they now have to teach you basketball skills, but they have to teach you how to be good human beings. So <laughs> like the, 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 just putting so much pressure and realizing that what we offer is, is a unique lens that really can solve a lot of the, the, or meet some of the needs that people have at the moment. And I'm excited because I, I, I have fought for a long time about legitimacy in our field. That's a, This is an interesting question that I'm going to go off on a tangent and throw back to you. Mm-hmm. How do we, as, as people who do this for a career, what do we, what steps do we, should we be taking? What should the future be taking to make us more legitimate yeah, I I think the the where the buck stops is is impact. The best possible marketing for an awesome mm. product or service is it being awesome, mm-hmm. right? So if we're leading, um, say I don't know what I have no idea what the stats are, but say there are 
um, 3 million experiential ed programs that happen in the United States every year. For example, I have no idea what that number is within even the million uh, degree of accuracy there. But let's just say a million or three million um, programs happen. If uh, 298 million of them are phenomenal, fantastic experiences that leave people changed, that people are energized, that they gain value from, then we're not pseudo education anymore. <laughs> then it's then it's like if the impact is mm-hmm. um, is clear there, then then we're not. I don't think that's happening. I think that uh, I don't know what the numbers here are either, but I know that I've participated in experiences and facilitated experiences myself that were subpar mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that left people like I don't know that that was what it was like. So right, if I if I lead a if I lead a uh, like I just actually before we started recording led a two hour virtual training for North Dakota State University to empower a, a bunch of student leaders to lead these virtual connection programs as students are orienting um, virtually into school. I think I did a pretty good job, but I have no doubt that there were some people in that um, group that had some feedback and would have changed some things and would have done things a little bit uh, differently. And so when they go into work 10, 15 years from now, and they're at a corporate group at High Five, and they've experienced a session with Chad way back in 2020, right? I am actually influencing your job, Phil, right? Mm-hmm. When they turn up at High Five for a program or their kids go to a, a, pro, a school program at High Five, whatever it is. And so it, it all feeds off of each other, that uh, reputation and impact. That's the biggest one. I think the other one is there's so much magic in like tradition and the way that things were uh, for, were once done. But I think going back to our quote that we as a field need to listen in a way that we're willing to be changed by others. And so when we get feedback from participants um, that says uh, this was too silly, I didn't want to like I would have rather like just sat around and talked. It's not experiential, but I would have rather just had a conversation and like sort out this problem with my team um, instead of doing helium hoop, for example. Like I'd rather just talk about the applied problem. I think we need to listen to that and adapt it rather than holding so tight to our belief that helium hoop will fix communication problems. Now, I'm saying that I love that exercise, actually. I think it's a really fun exercise. I think groups really enjoy it. I don't think it gets, even in an application-focused debrief, I don't think it can get as deeply applied as just talking about that issue really transparently and having that um, facilitated. And so that was a, that was a, a shift for me because mm-hmm. I held really tightly and I thought anybody who gives a, a straight lecture or who just talks is, is cutting people short of education. And like, wait, I'm not listening in a way that's being willing uh, to be changed by uh, people's feedback or experience. So yeah, I'm trying to enter yeah. the world more openly and really take that in and, and shift my programming. One of the results for me actually is for those considering uh, working in this world too is at the beginning of my facilitator journey, I had a very big facilitator bag. I still have it. It's just in my basement. And I never take it out and I never use it with all these tools, all these tips, all these things. And now I travel with a couple decks of cards and a couple visual props to share with people. And I don't use any PowerPoint. And so if I have content that I'm sharing, I just print it out on a sign real big mm-hmm. and bring that with me. And, and that's it. Just like a, a handful of things. And so I've gotten more simple rather than increasing our gadgets. I think decrease our gadgets and increase our purpose is a useful uh, framework to follow. Yeah. They, those are, those are two, two great points. I've, I've had very similar thoughts around. I think that that's, that's those places that call themselves team building or team development. And it's a paintball place that sometimes has a negative effect on people who are doing it a little more intentionally. Um, but it's all positive. This is, this is all growth. This is good. This is experiential learning for yeah. the experiential <laughs> learners out there. Um, yeah. Uh, how would people find you? How would they be able to connect with you if they want to connect with you? If they want to connect with me, they can uh, jump on the website, weand.me. If they want a bunch of free stuff, um, like a digital version of We Connect cards and an excerpt from the uh, book, Ask Powerful Questions, and a number of other resources, um, they can go to weand.me slash ideas. Weand.me slash ideas pop in your email and you get to download a whole um, whole free resource from our site in addition to video tutorials and other uh, good stuff. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, Chad. And also, uh, please, listeners, listen to the end past the part where my daughter says goodbye, because at the end of that, I'm going to talk about a way that you might be able to get some physical stuff also from Chad. Um, so there'll be an off- offer there. Um, he's been gracious enough to be able to give us some stuff. Um, so, Chad, thank you so much for this. I've really appreciated it. There's some incredible tips there. Um, I've learned a lot, so that's always a good marker for me of value. Um, what can I also game out of this selfishly? Um, but I appreciate Appreciate you being willing to take the time and join us. So thank you, Chad. Super fun to create a conversation that I think and hope mattered. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playtime. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Thanks for giving us a good guy. Okay. Thank you, Chad, for a wonderful conversation. And thanks in advance for gifting us these four items so that we can have a giveaway on today's episode. So how are you going to go about getting them all? I forgot to tell you what those are. So those four items are the We Connect cards, We Engage cards, Will and Chad's book Ask Powerful Questions, And then also a pocket guide to facilitating human connections that was written by Chad and one of his mentors, Rod Lee. So in order to have the opportunity to win one, what I'm going to ask you to do is go on to Apple Podcasts, rate and review this podcast, and then screenshot that review before you submit it. And then email me that screenshot at podcast at highfiveadventure.org. That's podcast at H-I-G-H, the number five, adventure.org. And then what I'll do is in a week or so, I'll go through those emails, put those names into a hat, and then randomly pick four people who I will then contact. So thanks in advance for the reviews. I look forward to reading them. Thank you so much. That really does help us out. So see you in two weeks for our next episode. Thank you again for listening to Vertical Playpen and stay safe out there.